Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. I don't even know how to respond to these things anymore. I mean, really don't. So anyway, hey, my name is Mike McGowan. I'm the senior pastor here. I'm so glad that you're here today as we wrap up this message series called I Wish I Was There, where we're doing our best to visualize ourselves in the middle of some of these greatest stories in the entire Bible, to picture ourselves as if we were there. And it's really important that we do that because I think sometimes we tend to forget that these are real events. They happen to real people in real places, and these were real experiences. And the danger of not visualizing these things and understanding that they're real is that we miss out on how real God is. Look, I'm going to tell you, there is going to come a time in your life when you're going to need God. And you're going to need him to be real. And you're going to need him big time. And if in those moments you doubt what God has done in the past because you haven't seen how real it is, then you'll doubt what God is capable of in the future. But on the flip side of that, when you become convinced of how real God is and you know that he's real, then you also know what he is capable of and how real he is and how he can help you and your family in those crisis moments. And so it's in those moments when you understand how real God is that panic won't set in. You won't just be overwhelmed with fear and anxiety because you'll trust God because you know how real he is. So, let me give you a little background to the story that we're going to look at today so that when we start reading the verses, it'll make a lot of sense to you. Um, Darius the Great is king. Now, history tells us that King Darius ruled the Persian Empire from 522 to 486 BC. And while King Darius actually accomplished a great many really incredible things, he's actually best known for a battle that he lost The Persians attacked the Greeks at a city called Marathon, and they were defeated by the Greeks. And a messenger ran from Marathon all the way to Athens, a mere 26.2 miles away, which is where we get the distance and the term Marathon. So uh, now, King Darius, again, like I said, he comes with a whole lot of other really great stuff. So when we get to the story for today, King Darius, he has appointed three guys to be just beneath him in the line of power in the Persian Empire. And one of these guys is a Jewish kid, or a Jewish young man, named Daniel. And Daniel loves God. In fact, Daniel, three times a day, gets on his knees and bows before God um, on the balcony of his home with the windows open. And God's favor rests on Daniel. In fact, so much so that King Darius decides that he's going to actually promote Daniel to be second in command over the whole empire. Well, wind of this promotion gets out, and some of the other guys that Daniel would now be promoted over, they get jealous. And so before Darius can promote him, they decide that they're going to come up with a plan to take Daniel down. But the problem is, they can't find any closets, any skeletons in Daniel's closet. They can't find anything that Daniel has ever done that's wrong or disloyal. So, they concoct a scheme. 
They go to King Darius, and they get Darius, they convince him to, to make an edict that says that nobody can pray to any god or man other than King Darius, because King Darius, as king, was considered a god. Well, you know, Darius thinks, oh, this is a great idea, so he signs that edict into law, a law which cannot be repealed. So when Daniel decides that he's going to bow down and pray to God anyway, the men spring their trap, they drag Daniel before the authorities, and they drag Daniel before the king, and they say, hey, O king, remember your law. You now, as punishment, as part of the law, you have to throw Daniel into a den of lions. And that is where we pick up the story. In Daniel chapter 6, and if you want to follow along, in your sermon notes, or if you want to follow along in your own Bible, or if you want to follow along electronically on your, you know, Bible on your phone, either way, it doesn't, make, doesn't matter. Daniel 6, verse 14, here's what the Bible says. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and make every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So if you and I were there on the day that Daniel was about to be thrown in the lion's den, we would have seen three things. Here's the first thing that you and I would have seen. Write this down. The first thing I would have seen is this. I would have seen really big, scary lions. Like I know, it seems a little elementary to put it like that, but I'm telling you, that's what you and I would have seen. Look at verse 16. Here's what it says. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Okay. Now the truth is, I don't think any of us really understand how intense or how scary this would have really been. Because look, let's face it. The only lions that you and I have ever seen are the ones that are in the zoo, right? And those lions aren't that intimidating or scary. I mean, look, they're well-fed. Like, they're in a habitat, you know, like behind like super thick glass, and there's a big moat in between. And those lions, they've, like, they've never hunted a day in their life. I mean, they're just not that intimidating. But these lions would not have been that way. These lions probably had been captured from the wild, They've been thrown into a pit, which, I mean, this is not like some zoologically friendly habitat, okay? And so they're a little bit ticked off about being there in the first place. And these lions, they were fed, but their feeding probably looked a little more like something from Jurassic Park, okay? Not something like we see at the Houston Zoo. So, I mean, this would have been wildly intense. Now, obviously, like, we can't have real lions up here on the stage to try to kind of picture. But if you were there, when Daniel was placed into the mouth of the den, the Bible says that they rolled a huge stone in front of the den and then they sealed it. So as they would have rolled that stone, the light in the den would have begun to fade and it would have gotten darker and darker until it was black.
I would have wet my tunic. I mean, I would have freaked out, right? I mean, that would have been the most intense thing ever. It would have been scary as all get out, right? Okay, so that's the first thing that you and I would have experienced. Here's the second thing. Number two is this. If you and I were there, we would have seen an even scarier angel. An even scarier angel. I know like, it feels a little weird to call an angel scary, but the truth is, every time people in the Bible saw an angel in their natural form, the response was always one of fear. When Zechariah, who would eventually become the father of John the Baptist, when he saw an angel, the very first words out of the angel, angel's mouth were, hey, do not fear. When Mary, the mother of Jesus, first saw an angel, that angel's first command to Mary was, fear not. When, on the morning that Jesus was risen from the dead, an angel, one single angel, appeared and dropped out of the sky right before the mouth of the tomb to roll the stone away. And these battle-hardened Roman soldiers were so scared that the Bible says that they froze in fear and became like dead men. So if you and I would ever see an angel in his natural form, I mean, it would be so scary. I mean, it would be scary as all get out is what would have happened. And we, we would be frozen in fear. And so an angel appears in the, in the lion's den that day. And here's the other thing. We also know about angels that they radiate light. In their supernatural form, they radiate light. So as soon as the angel appears, the tomb would no longer, or the tomb, the lion's den no longer would have been pitch black. It would have been filled with light. Like, like, I don't know. Like, did the angel, like, walk over, you know, when that angel appeared, like, did the lions, like, run in the corner and, you know, act like scared little kittens? No. Or did the angel walk up to one of the lions and, you know, grab it by the snout and was like, not today. You know? Or, you know, did the angel just, you know, put out his hand like this and the lions just stopped in their tracks? Man, I don't know. But something like that happened that day. Because... The lions did not consume them. In fact, let's look at what the Bible says, beginning in verse 18. Then the king returned to the palace and spent the night without eating or without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called out to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? You know, like, this is one of those passages in the Bible where I think, like, what if Daniel had just said, no, they ate me? <laughs> I mean, it seems like a weird question, right? Okay, well, we know Daniel's more mature than me. So he says this. Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done, anything, done any wrong before you, O king pretty amazing. And if you and I had been there, we'd have seen a third thing. Here's the number three. We would have seen poetic justice. We would have seen poetic justice. Look how the passage continues in verse 23. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no one was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Ugh, right? 
I mean, now these guys that had accused Daniel, they were trying to get Daniel to be the one that was eaten by the lions, but in the end, they were the ones that had gotten eaten, right? Like, I bet they were wishing they had thrown Daniel into like a butterfly habitat, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. For us, like, this is like the most disturbing part, of, probably the most disturbing part of the story because like their wives and their kids, like there's something about that that like doesn't sit well with us. But here's the deal. That would not have bothered the people of this day. And the reason it wouldn't have bothered the people of this day is because they knew something that you and I tend to forget. And that is this, that your choices don't affect just you. Your choices don't affect just you. And whether those choices are good or bad, your choices don't affect just you. Like when you make a bad choice, like driving while intoxicated, or having an affair, or doing something underhanded at work and it costs you your job, or racking up huge amounts of debt. Look, those choices, they don't affect just you. They affect the people that are around you. And likewise, when you make good choices, they don't affect just you. Like when you make the choice to start coming to church regularly, when you choose to never lie, no matter the circumstance, when you choose to have appropriate boundaries with people of the opposite sex, when you choose to get up a little earlier and start your day by reading the Bible and by praying, when you choose to put down your smartphone and talk to somebody by looking them in the eye. See, when you make good choices, those choices don't affect just you. They affect the people around you. Look, and that's a, that's a principle that God doesn't want you to forget in your life. He wants you to remember, your choices don't affect just you. So, if we had been there and we had seen all this go down, we would arrive at at least three conclusions. Okay, and here they are. Here's the first conclusion that we would have arrived at. Number one is this, is that trusting in God doesn't mean I won't go through hard experiences. I just won't go through them alone. Trusting in God doesn't mean I won't go through hard experiences. It just means that I won't go through them alone. Now look, if, if, if you and I didn't know how things were going to work out for Daniel, I mean, we, we do, but let's just say that you and I were there and we didn't know that Daniel was going to be rescued. When they shoved Daniel into the mouth of the lion's den and they rolled that stone over the front, what, what would we have thought? Here, here's, what I, here's what we would probably have thought. We'd have thought, God, why didn't you save Daniel? God, Daniel was so faithful to you, he trusted you. Like, he went on, out on a limb and trusted you anyway, and, and you allowed him to get thrown into a lion's den? Come on, God, you could have stopped this. Why? You had the power. Why didn't you prevent this from happening, God? That, that would have been our response. That's what we would have thought. You know, because look, here's what we tend to think. We tend to think that if we have faith in God, that we won't go through hard times, that things are just going to be easy. But here's the deal. That's not the picture the Bible paints. More often than not, the Bible shows us a picture that when people of faith, they still go through hard times. They just don't go through them alone. That God tends to show up, that our Heavenly Father, He shows up in the middle 
of those hard times. And that's when he does some of his most amazing work. I want you to watch a video of two ladies in our church that God didn't prevent them from going through a difficult time when Hurricane Harvey hit. But he showed up in the middle. Watch this. I had met Karen one night when our friend, a mutual friend, Lana, decided to uh, come over and help Karen pack for um, their trip to Israel. And Lana said, I'm headed toward your apartment and I think you might be living in the same place as she does. Why don't you come over and I'll introduce you. We were very yeah. comfortable yeah. as friends right away. Right away. It, was, it, wasn't, it, was, yeah. it wasn't a hi, nice to meet you and bye. I was sitting on her living room floor and she was showing me everything she was packing. So. Yeah. <laughs> We became friends pretty quick, but then we have busy lives. I believe that God sort of led us to each other at least enough so that when we did flood at the same time, we had each other. I was standing with the door open right at the, as the water was starting to kind of creep up. Um, Karen walked by with her dog Rico and said, what if it gets too high, come up to my apartment. Yeah. And it was a nice relief to know that not only did I have a friend in the apartment complex, because I didn't really know anybody else, but I had a friend that also went to my church. Because I remember her saying to me, I have, I have cats. And I said, okay, well, bring your cats. Mm -hmm. And uh, you remember, and I was like, okay, bring your cats. And you was like, for real? And she started crying. I'm like, yeah, let's get your cats and let's go. So we brought the cats and... When the National Guard, I think it was, came by and said, you have 20 minutes to get out. We're going to flood this place with like eight feet of water. And they said, you have 20 minutes. So I was, that's when the panic really started to set in. And I'm like, Karen, what do I do? And she's like, go get all the most important things and then come back up. So I grabbed my mom's ashes, my cat's ashes, some important paintings and things like that, and my Bible. And I packed them all in trash bags, tied them up best I can, and put them in this metal cart that, like a pull cart. They were literally underwater, all of them, all the way down and around the corner back to Karen's because the water was so deep and I couldn't carry it all. I'd never in my entire life know what hopelessness felt like or what helplessness felt like, what homelessness felt like. Um, and all that for me was, it was really uh, difficult to imagine. You know, I'm in this and you know, I'm like, okay, I did everything that I think, I hope every, and I was still worried about the people that didn't want to leave, you know, and I, I hear, uh, a voice saying, Karen Sanders. Towards the end of the day, in fact, right before we left, we said, hey, we're gonna wait for one more boat to come in, and then we're going to um, leave. And um, as I was there, I was waiting for this last boat to come in, and getting off the boat were two of our church members, Karen and Jennifer, two people that I had a relationship with that had served in the youth ministry. Jennifer was actually my daughter's small group leader and I recognized them right off the bat. And so I just screamed, Karen, Jennifer. I just, my heart broke for them immediately. You know, and I tell Chris that he was the voice of God for me at that point because it was when I heard his voice, the, the comfort, because I was going through that, that hopelessness feeling that, that just, it was just, I, I can't explain that feeling. It's just a horrible feeling. And I feel bad for people that have that in their life and they don't have a church home to be there to help them. Uh, and to hear Chris saying, Karen Sanders, what are you doing? And I just broke down in tears and hugged him and said, I'm going to a shelter. And he goes, no, you're not, you're coming with me. 
I texted my wife and I said, hey, I'm bringing um, two people home with me. And she was like, who are you bringing home? And so I texted her a picture of Karen and Jennifer in the truck with us. And I said, I uh, got these two coming home. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> Come on, Jennifer, let's go. <laughs> That's what I said, let's go. That doesn't happen, anyone I tell that I got off the boat during a hurricane and a flood and my pastor was standing right there. That doesn't happen. And his wife was there with dinner ready and a shower and towels. And then the next door, the, the winds were out of town and we were able to stay at their house. Karen had the upstairs, I had the downstairs for almost two weeks. It was the perfect setup, the only setup that it had to be God. That's what, the, that's what our Heavenly Father does. He doesn't necessarily prevent us from going through hard times, but he shows up in the middle of them. And he shows up in ways that we would never expect. Sometimes he'll even show up like in the form of a youth pastor that you didn't even know was there. If we trust him and we reach out for him, we'll find that he's right there, right in the middle of even our most difficult circumstance. All right, here's the second thing. Second conclusion that you would arrive at if you'd been there. Number two is this. Integrity is always rewarded in the long run. Integrity is always rewarded in the long run. Have you ever heard the adage, no good deed goes unpunished? You ever heard that before? I, I have, and sometimes it feels like it's true. In fact, there's a lot of times it feels like it's true. And, and to a degree, it is true in the short term. But in the long run, integrity is always rewarded. Think about Daniel. In the short term, him maintaining his integrity by praying and being faithful to God, he came face to face with death. But in the long run, God did something miraculous through it. So much so, we're still talking about it today, more than 2,500 years later. Because God always rewards integrity in the long run. So look, would you make the decision right now? Make the decision right now that no matter what happens, no matter what you go through, no matter what circumstances you face, that you will maintain your integrity. That no matter what comes down the road for you, that you will not acquiesce to pressure to give in. Where that pressure comes from externally from other people, or where that pressure comes from within yourself that you would not give in, the, give in to the pressure to compromise your integrity. Let me give you an example. Um, my son, Ben, and I, you know, sometimes we'll go to the movies together. We'll just see a movie, just the two of us, maybe a movie that like, the girls really don't want to see. Um, and so I remember one time, right after he had turned 12, he and I went, up, went to the movies, and Ben's always been a little bit short for his age. And let's be honest, he gets that from his mama. So... Um, <laughs> He's always been a little bit short for his age. And so we walk up to the counter, and the lady, and the cashier lady says, um, will that be one adult and one child? And I realized, because up until that time, it's always been one adult, one child, but now that he's turned 12, technically I'm supposed to buy him an adult ticket. And so she said that, and so I paused for just a second. Because, I've all, again, I've always been able to buy him a, a child's ticket. And so I answered, I said, That'll be two adult tickets, please. 
but I'll admit, like, I did pause for just a little bit, a bit right there. I mean, I, I'll just be honest, I really did. Um, and, 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 dur- and during that pause, you know what went through my mind? What went through my mind was, if you could buy your integrity for $2, would you? If you could buy your integrity for two bucks, wouldn't you do that? And, and conversely, is my integrity for sale for $2? Is my reputation, my name, you know, who I am, is my integrity for sale for two bucks? No, of course not. And so I bought two adult tickets. And so for you, what's your integrity worth? If you could buy your integrity for $2, wouldn't you do that? Would you sell your integrity for something as small as two bucks? No, of course you wouldn't. And it all goes back to something that Jesus teaches us. Because here's what you got to remember. And these are Jesus' words. He says in, in Luke 16.10, he says, Whoever can be trusted with little will be trusted with much. And he goes on to say that the converse is true. Whoever is not trustworthy with little is not trustworthy with much. And, and that means that if you can maintain your integrity with something just as little as $2, it means that you'll also maintain your integrity when there's a lot at stake. But here's the deal. If you don't maintain your integrity when something's small, like two bucks, then you won't maintain your integrity when something really big is at stake. You, I know, you think you will, but you won't. And I don't know, some of you are thinking, oh, come on, Pastor Mike. I mean, seriously, it's just a movie ticket. I mean, it's two bucks. I mean, who's going to know? Well, God will know. God would have known. I would have known. And my son, Ben, would have known. And through that, I would have taught him that it's okay to cheat when it benefits you. And he would have applied that to other areas of his life. And I don't want to bring him up knowing that kind of a lesson. And besides that, God is the one who rewards integrity anyway. So if I could buy my integrity for $2, well, of course I'm going to do that, right? And I think that if you and I had been there on this day with Daniel, you and I would have realized that integrity is always rewarded in the long run. So for you, would you make a decision right now that you would set the bar of integrity high and that you would say, you know what? My integrity is not for sale. My integrity is not for sale at any price, big or small. Would you make that commitment right now? Here's the third conclusion. Number three is this. Write this down. That there is no limit to what God can do through one courageous act. There's no limit to what God can do through one courageous act, okay? Now, after, you know, the bad guys are thrown in the lion's den and, you know, they crush all their bones and, you know, we go through that whole thing. Here is what happens. Verse 23, I'm sorry, verse 25, verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, 
and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Man, isn't that incredible? I wonder how many people became believers in the one true God because of this. And don't you think that that's what God had in mind the whole time? Don't you think that when God said, allowed this whole story to be set in motion, that he had this end result in mind? That it wasn't just about Daniel's single life? Not, not that Daniel's life is insignificant. Every life is significant in the eyes of God. But don't you think that God had something much bigger in mind that would impact so many more people? Of course he did. If Daniel would just remain faithful. If Daniel would just trust, if Daniel would just not compromise, look what God can do through one courageous act. Same is true for you. Think of what God could do through your life. If you would just maintain your commitment, maintain your trust, maintain your integrity, maintain your faith in him, come what may. Look, and it's not hard to imagine that in this day and age, when literally anything could go viral at any moment, what God could do. Who knows the limits of what God could do through one courageous act to follow him. But you have to make the choice. So listen, would you make, today, would you make a Daniel commitment to follow God and his son, Jesus Christ, come what may. No matter what happens, I'm going to follow and I'm going to be faithful. No matter what it seems like it might cost, and even if it does cost, I'll follow him no matter what. And listen, you never know what God might do through your life, through one courageous act to follow him. Would you make that decision today? Now, for all of us, for everybody the decision to follow God actually begins with an earlier decision. And that earlier decision is to ask his son, Jesus Christ, to come into our lives to forgive us and commit to follow him. So it, it starts there for everybody. So if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. Because look, the Bible's clear that our sin separates us from God. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross so that his death could take away all of our sin so we could have a relationship with God while we're here on this earth and so that we go to heaven and we die. And so it's through that relationship that we commit to follow him. But it starts with Jesus. It starts with the commitment to follow Christ. So if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, ask him for, to forgive you for everything. Start there. There's a prayer. It's in your message notes. I want you to take a second. If you've, if you've never prayed it before, I want you to pray it right now. I want you to pray it right now while I pray for everybody else. So everybody, bow your head, close your eyes. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Daniel and his courage to follow you even when he didn't know how things were going to work out. And so Father, I ask that you would help us commit to follow you even when we don't know the future. We don't know how things are going to work out, but we just trust you that all of it is going to work out according to your plan, according to what you want to accomplish through us. And so, Lord, I ask that you would take each of our individual lives and do something great in us and through us, not for our glory or reputation, but for yours. I love you. Thank you. 
and do all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.